If the federal government is seen as not having control of what's happening, then more and more you're going to see this really, really aggressive right-wing move to impose some kind of control. That needs to be absolutely rejected, and it's absolutely abhorrent that Greg Abbott is doing this. Welcome to another episode of America Explained podcast that brings the important voices and perspectives shaping American politics, foreign policy and culture to an international audience. Hello everyone, thanks for tuning in to America Explained, the podcast that brings you an international perspective on US politics and foreign policy. I'm your host Andy Gawthorpe, a historian and columnist, and today we're going to be talking about the southern border that the US shares with Mexico. In December, crossings of that border were at a record high as more and more people tried to enter the United States to claim asylum under international law. Because the border authorities are so unprepared and underfunded, a humanitarian catastrophe is unfolding as a result. At the same time, the issue is more and more driving American politics in this presidential election year. The Senate just negotiated a package of very, very tough, Republican-inspired border control measures, which it seems the Republican Party will refuse to endorse because it wants the border situation to be as bad as possible to help Donald Trump in this election year. At the same time, Greg Abbott, the Republican governor of Texas, has claimed the right to seize control of areas of the border and exclude federal authorities from exercising authority there. The arguments that he's invoking as he does that are exactly the same types of arguments about states' rights, which were invoked by Texas and other states during and before the American Civil War. So thanks for tuning into this episode of America Explained. That's what we're going to get into this time. If you enjoy America Explained, please consider subscribing to our newsletter. You can find a link to that in the show notes. And if you subscribe, you'll get fresh analysis from America Explained in your inbox several times a week. Okay, so let's start by just talking about what's actually happening at the border. The situation there is in some ways the worst that it's ever been. In December, more people than ever before tried to cross the border. This was So this was a monthly record. About 300,000 people tried to cross in that month. That's about 8,400 people a day been apprehended by U.S. border agents. That is far, far more people than the U.S. border authorities are resourced to deal with. Most of these people claim asylum in the U.S. under international law, and then they're released into the interior of the country and given a court date that they have to report to in the future where their asylum case will be heard. I think this is something that people don't often appreciate about what's happening at the border now, which is that the average person who we're talking about who gets apprehended by the border patrol is not trying to sneak past the border patrol. They're not trying to illegally enter the country. They enter the country, then they track down a border patrol agent, and they surrender themselves and say, I'm here As a refugee, I'm here to seek asylum, and I claim those rights under international law. And under international law, they have the right to an asylum hearing. But the problem is that the US asylum court system has a backlog of about 3 million cases. That system has been systematically underfunded by Congress for decades, so it's not able to hear these asylum cases quickly enough. There just aren't that many asylum judges who can hear these cases. So you end up with millions and millions of people who are in the US waiting for an asylum hearing. And some of those people will end up just 
joining the undocumented population. They won't go to that hearing, although also many people do go to the hearing. But the, the main problem is that these hearings take so long to happen. So you have millions of people in this kind of legal limbo until they do happen. Now, in order to try to do something about this problem, now you might think that the Biden administration would have this really, really progressive policy that was going to be welcoming to refugees, that was going to try to encourage more people to come and claim these rights under international law and, and help them when they get here. But the Biden administration actually both out of a combination of election year politics and also because I genuinely believe it reflects Joe Biden's approach to this issue, which is quite out of step with much of the rest of the Democratic Party, particularly the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. The Biden administration has endorsed the negotiation of a border security bill that was just unveiled this weekend, and it's going to go up for a vote in the Senate actually today on, on the day that I released this podcast. This bill makes huge changes or proposes huge changes to the way that the asylum system works and, and the way that the border works. So the first is that it actually creates a mechanism for closing down the border in the event that too many people try to cross in a particular week or on a particular day. So under this new power, the government will be able to shut down the border to asylum seekers if crossings surpass over 4,000 a day over at least seven days. And this actually becomes mandatory if it reaches the level of 5,000 a day. So this is, you know, uh, this is a huge thing that the border would actually be closed down to new asylum seekers. That's something that even Trump didn't do for most of his term until he used the pandemic as an excuse to introduce this kind of public health exception, which basically said, we consider all refugees to be a risk to public health, so none of them can be processed. But Trump only did that when the pandemic started in this kind of emergency state that existed then. So creating this mechanism to shut down the border in certain circumstances is a massive departure from previous US asylum policy. It's a big departure than anything from anything that Trump did prior to the pandemic. The other thing the bill does, which is arguably just as consequential, is that it changes the way that applying for asylum works. So it's going to make it much harder to qualify for asylum under this new system you will be asked to prove that you couldn't have relocated to somewhere else safe in your own country, rather than coming for asylum in the US. This is after the Biden administration already introduced a policy which says that if you traveled through a safe country on the way to get to the US, then you should be denied asylum in the US. Now, they consider Mexico a safe country, so this would have denied most people applying at the southern border refugee status. A court struck down that rule, so it's not actually applying right now, but it's another example of how much the Biden administration is trying to restrict people from claiming refugee status. The process of applying for and being judged for refugee status would also change under this bill. So you would go to an initial screening within 90 days, and you have to pass this much tighter standard than you had to pass before. And if you fail that 90-day screening, then you get deported. If you pass it, then you wait for a final decision, which will come within another 90 days. And then if you fail that, you'll be deported. So it makes it much more likely that many more people will be denied asylum under this new bill. The bill also gives a lot more funding to the Border Patrol. It creates a lot more detention facilities for them. 
puts more money into resources to help them apprehend and detain and control people at that border. And it also gives a lot of money to cities that are coping with the migrant influx as well. Cities like New York and Denver, who have now massive refugee populations who've been arriving, will be given money to help to house, feed, and look after these people. That's the main kind of humanitarian aspect of this bill, but most of it is to give money to enforcement, to tighten up the border, to make it harder for people to get refugee status. Now, this bill was negotiated in the Senate. There's been a bipartisan group of Democrats and Republicans who negotiated it. It's almost all Republican ideas in this bill. And I think it's worth reflecting for a minute on how this shows that the American immigration debate has moved really far to the right. So traditionally, the way that Congress has tried to negotiate border bills is that they've tried to give some things to the right and some things to the left. So the usual model for what's been called comprehensive immigration reform is that the border would be tightened up, there'd be a lot more security there, it would be much harder for new people to come into the country. But as a trade-off, there would be new pathways to citizenship and legal residency established for people who were already in the country. And in the past, this has always been the model of how a kind of broad right-left compromise would happen on immigration. This bill contains the rights priorities, but it doesn't contain what have typically been progressive or even just mainstream democratic priorities on immigration and on pathways to citizenship for people who are already in the country and undocumented. Instead, what's happening here is that the Biden administration is trying to trade border protection for aid for Ukraine. Because aid for Ukraine is something that the Biden administration really wants to pass, but the right wing of the Republican Party doesn't want to pass. So that's actually the trade that's happening here. It's we'll give you what you want on the border and you'll give us aid for Ukraine. Now, I think it's also worth pointing out at the same time that Biden is much more restrictionist. He has more conservative views on immigration than the progressive wing of his own party. I don't think that he is actually that uncomfortable with these restrictionist measures. I think that he sees the border as a really dangerous political issue for him, that he has sympathy with people who want to cut down on the number of undocumented people and refugees who are coming into the country. And so he's much more comfortable with this more restrictionist agenda. But that's really setting up a battle with the base of his own party and with many liberals who have much more open liberal views on immigration. At the same time, and this is kind of the crazy thing that's unfolding right now. You're seeing the Republican Party actually come around to rejecting this bill as well. Now, the reason they give for rejecting it is that they say that it's not harsh enough. It's not restrictionist enough. But this is by far the most restrictionist bill to do with the border that's come up in Congress for decades. And it's pretty clear that the real reason that they're rejecting it is because they want the border to remain an issue that politically harms Biden. Trump has gone on a big pressure campaign, calling up congressional Republicans, making public statements, telling them to reject this bill. And Republicans are pretty openly talking about the fact that they don't want to give Biden what they see as a political win going into the general election this year. They think that if the situation at the border remains as it is, 
then that gives people a reason to vote for Donald Trump, who they see as strong on the border or harsh on the border, whatever language you want to use, and a reason to vote against Joe Biden. So there's a real cynicism and a playing of politics that's going on here. That's really not that unusual when it comes to border and immigration legislation. The fact Congress has not passed a major piece of legislation like this for decades now is precisely because this type of politics always stops it from happening. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, I'm going to talk about how Texas has been taking matters into its own hands at the border with potentially really dangerous consequences. You're listening to America Explained, a podcast about the United States for an international audience. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, tell a friend, and leave a positive review on your podcast platform. So in March 2021, Texas Governor Greg Abbott launched what he called Operation Lone Star which was an operation by Texas security agencies, agencies like the Texas Rangers, to go and police the border themselves. This was quite clearly a piece of political theater. It's really notable that he didn't launch this operation during the Trump administration. He did it a few months after Biden came into office, arguing that the Biden administration was not protecting the border, the federal government couldn't be trusted to look after Texas's interests, so Texas needed to go and do it itself. So he sent thousands of Texas security forces to the border. Some of them were National Guardsmen, some of them were Texas Rangers, and many of the National Guardsmen and National Guards women were called up from civilian life. They were mobilized to take part in this mission. So they had to leave behind their families, they had to leave behind their jobs. They suffered from very low morale and, you know, Texas hadn't really created the infrastructure at the border to house them and look after them. So they were in really poor circumstances. Some of them actually committed suicide while they were deployed on this operation. And this all basically meant that you had and still have a large number of not particularly well-trained, not particularly well-motivated personnel from Texas who've suddenly been put on the border and given various tasks to try to secure it. Now, they've been doing all kinds of dodgy things. They've shot over the border into Mexico on numerous occasions, something that hadn't happened for a decade or so, but has potentially really dangerous consequences if someone in Mexico gets injured or killed from that, as they have been in the past. As part of Operation Lone Star, these Texan security forces also started putting up miles and miles of razor wire across the border. Razor wire, that's like barbed wire. The point of it is to make it more difficult for migrants to cross certain parts of the border. So they've put it actually sometimes in the water in the Rio Grande. They've put it also on the banks of the Rio Grande. They've put it in various places where migrants are trying to come across. And increasingly, migrants, refugees, have been getting injured, and in some cases killed by this razor wire, because they get trapped in it, say, and then they drown in the river, or they get injured trying to climb over it. The razor wire has also started to interfere with the ability of federal border authorities to access certain parts of the border and to get to refugees, including some who are in physical danger. And this really came to a head over the last month when three refugees, a woman and her two children, drowned in the Rio Grande while federal agents were unable to come and prevent them from drowning because they were being blocked 
From doing so by Texan authority deployed as part of Operation Lone Star. So the federal government took Texas to court and it went and said, we should have the right to remove this razor wire. The border and immigration control is a federal responsibility. State authorities cannot kind of usurp that authority and try to block us from doing our job. And the Supreme Court ultimately ordered that, yes, the federal authorities could remove this razor wire and could access all parts of the border. In response to this, Greg Abbott published this absolutely extraordinary letter in which he's claimed that because, in his view, the federal government had failed to prevent Texas from what he characterized as an invasion of refugees, federal authority at the border had been nullified and the state had taken over in order to ensure its own security because the federal government was not doing it. He even invoked what he called the idea of a compact between the states. This is an idea that goes back to before the Civil War, where basically the southern states, the states that wanted to protect slavery, claimed that the original constitution was not actually a legal document to which everybody was bound under federal authority, but instead it was kind of an elective treaty where the states had chosen to come together and form a federal government. And they retained the right to dissolve that government and to reclaim their original independence if the government was not acting in their interests. So Greg Abbott is essentially invoking the idea that justified secession before the Civil War to argue that the federal government's authority has been dissolved in parts of his state and his state has taken on that authority and it now will protect Texas from what he calls this invasion of refugees. Now, this is a, a, a slow-moving constitutional crisis in the making. It's not yet a constitutional crisis, but it's heading in particularly nasty directions. So far, the Supreme Court has only ordered that the federal government is allowed to remove this razor wire that Texas set up. So it didn't tell Texas not to set up more razor wire, but it just said that the federal government can take it down. It was a very narrow court order. But what was amazing when the, this, this Supreme Court order was made was that four of the nine justices on the Supreme Court accepted the idea that Texas had authority and sovereignty over the border and that federal authority had been nullified. So these really extraordinary arguments, which really have no basis in constitutional law, except for the fact that they were, you know, they were used in the run-up to the Civil War, then they were discredited. Four Supreme Court justices accepted these arguments. And this means that if Texas goes back to court, if it finds other ways of trying to create court cases out of this and to nullify federal authority, then it seems possible that more of the Supreme Court justices, remember many of whom were appointed by Donald Trump, and we now have a very Republican Supreme Court, might accept these arguments. I think it's really another reminder that we're living in a time of incredible constitutional precarity in the US and potential large-scale rapid change. I mean, only a few years ago, there was still a constitutional right to abortion in the United States, and that has been stripped away. Uh, you know, a move that was previously, if not unthinkable, extremely difficult to imagine that such a retrograde step would be taken. It's possible that 
this Supreme Court might accept a big realignment in the relationship between the federal government and the states if they accept arguments like those put forward by Abbott. And it's worth remembering that in the past, these arguments have generally been used by southern states in ways that really favored racial oppression. So the whole discourse of states' rights and the whole idea of being able to retain sovereignty in the states and nullify the authority of the federal government, that's been used by states like Texas in the past to introduce segregation. You know, if you go back further than that, to have slavery. And in this case, Abbott is again arguing that Texas should have the right to deploy violence against non-white people, against these refugees coming over the border, because they constitute some kind of invasion that threatens his state. The fact that the people who have been killed by Operation Lone Star, so these three refugees who were killed a month or so ago, it was a woman and two children. They were not some, you know, the, the tip of some kind of invading force. They were powerless refugees who came to America in the hope of a better life. And Greg Abbott thinks that he should have the right to use violence against them and that even the federal government should not stop him from using that violence. If you zoom out on this and go back to thinking about what I talked about in the first half of this podcast, I think that the way that the situation is slipping out of control at the border is evidence that there's really a need for Congress to end this dysfunction and come together and pass some kind of comprehensive immigration reform. The more and more that Congress doesn't act, and it hasn't updated legislation in this area for decades now, the more and more the initiative passes into the hands of people like Abbott and into this right-wing nativist project that wants to legitimize the use of violence against refugees. If the federal government is seen as not having control of what's happening, then more and more you're going to see this really, really aggressive right-wing move to impose some kind of control. That needs to be absolutely rejected, and it's absolutely abhorrent that Greg Abbott is doing this, and also that so many other Republicans have endorsed what he's doing. There is a need for comprehensive immigration reform, which will really address what ha is happening on the border as a humanitarian problem, an approach that creates alternative legal pathways for people to apply for refugee status in the United States so they don't have to come to the border to do it, and one which fully funds the system of refugee hearings of places where refugees can stay and have a roof over their heads once they get into the country, and which makes sure that the enforcement of, the, of border rules and border regulations is done by well-trained people who observe the principles of international humanitarian law, and not by these Texas agencies who are engaged in what's essentially a political stunt on behalf of a Republican governor. Unfortunately, Congress seems just as far away today from acting on this as it has done for a really long time, so we need to really keep our eye on what's going to happen in the election this year. If Trump wins the election, you may see him endorsing much of what Texas is doing and implementing new and dangerous federal policies of his own. It's not inconceivable that we would see a return to family separation. Trump has talked also about his desire to deport millions of undocumented people who are currently present in the US, something that would require, as his campaign advisors admit, a system of massive deportation camps. 
the kind of thing that a decade or so ago, I would have thought it impossible to see in America, but something which unfortunately has become very, very possible today. So this is another reason why the stakes in this election are so high this year. Greg Abbott and Republicans in Congress are each in their own way engaged in a political act to try to boost Donald Trump's election. And if they succeed in doing that, then the border regime is going to become so much harsher than it has in the past. And between now and then, there's the chance of the situation, and particularly this clash between federal and state authorities, becoming more volatile and dangerous, not just for people on the border, but also for America's constitutional order. We often have episodes of America Explained about immigration policy. It's one of the most important parts of American politics right now. And I hope you'll tune in again in the future when we return to this issue. Thanks again for listening to America Explained. And if you enjoy it, please consider telling a friend about the podcast because that really helps us grow and reach new listeners. Thanks for listening to America Explained, which is brought to you by host Andy Gawthor and researcher, editorial assistant, and sometimes co-host Catherine Wood. If you like America Explained, please consider checking out our free newsletter, which you can find a link to in the show notes. That's all for this episode, and I look forward to speaking to you next time.